A very good morning to you. You'd like to grab a seat? My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Together we attempt to lead this church. I think mostly fail miserably. It's very, very good to see you. If you're new here or you're visiting, you're very welcome. Uh, do you see Kerry? She'd love to um, get your details. We'd love to connect with you, let you know a little bit more about the church and the things that are going on here. Uh, during the sermon, baskets will come around. This is for the offering. Uh, if you're new or visiting, just ignore them. Pass it on. Just to let you know, all the money that goes into the offering baskets, uh, we're, going, we're giving to our international mission partners in Nepal and in India and in Myanmar. You're chatty this morning, aren't you? I am really chatty. And they're supporting their work combating trafficking. There you go. A few years, a few years ago, a friend of mine had an, um, he got for a job interview, and um, everything was. I think everything was going well for him. He seemed pretty happy about it uh, until the, the interviewer asked him what, on the sort of face of it, was a pretty simple question. But it, you know, when you're in those interviews, it sort of uh, it completely floored him. Nonetheless, you know how stressful interviews can be. And anyway, rather than just asking you know, the fairly generic, well, you know, tell me something about yourself, uh, to which my friend would have replied, you know, the usual sort of, um, you know, I like reading, I, I love poetry, I like stamp collecting or whatever it is uh, people say in interviews. Uh, instead, what they asked was, um, so who are you really? Who's, who's the real you? Perhaps understandably, my friend kind of sat there a little bit flummoxed and uh, panicky. He sort of spluttered out, uh, you know, sort of words, the things that he thought that they might like to hear so that he would get the job. But in actual fact, in, internally, it was kind of like turmoil and his mind went completely blank and he's sort of having this conversation in this interview and internally and inside, he's realizing that he actually had no idea how he would even begin to answer that question. He really didn't know who he was. Okay, so here's a thought for you. Uh, 11.15 on a Sunday morning, a starter for 10 as you dig out uh, your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 3. How would you answer that question? Who are you really? Who, who is the real you? And this morning I want to pick up something that we touched on back in Lent in the run-up to Easter. I want us to dig a little bit more into the whole subject of identity. I want to look at this morning, um, who are we really? Um, who are we called by? What are we called to? And what has he called us? So um, why don't we start in Mark chapter 3. Uh, where we pick up the story, we're at another critical point with Jesus and his ministry. He's, he's upset, uh, he's offended the traditions of the religious leaders. They're off somewhere plotting his downfall. Uh, the political leaders, uh, they're not that happy about things either. They're not that impressed with him either. So they're scheming 
and they're plotting as well. And you've got to remember, we've only got to chapter 3 in Mark, so it's not looking great for Jesus. Uh, Meanwhile, there's these huge crowds of people who are following Jesus, and they're all desperately trying to get near to him, but they're also a pretty fickle bunch, and, and they actually seem only interested in what they can get out of Jesus. And the point where we pick up the story here in Mark chapter 3 is where we find Jesus calling 12 disciples. This is the moment where Jesus names and calls those he wants uh, to continue the work that he is uh, beginning. And these are the ones without whom the work of Jesus probably would never have spread across the world in the way that it did. I'm getting... Do you want to ask me a question, or did you want an interview? Have you got a complaint complaint to make? (laughs) Do you know what the quality of the preaching is? Just no good. (laughs) This is how we work here. When you're visiting, you just get up and um, you just, I know. I know. He's just trying to cut me off my flow. Sabotage. I don't mind. I'm now going to disrobe. That's all I'm going to disrobe. <laughs> You'll be glad to hear. Where was I? Disrobing. <laughs> okay, let's read the Bible, shall we, before it goes terribly wrong. Mark uh, chapter 3, starting verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Look at verse 13. If we want to know who we are, we really need to know who we've been called by. John Calvin said this, Man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. Man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. We cannot, basically, we can't know ourselves without first knowing God. The first thing we see Jesus doing in verse 13 is Jesus calling to him those he wanted, and they came to him. You see, whether we realize it or not, whether we know it or not, from the moment that we were created, God has been calling to us. God has been calling to you. God has been calling you. He's been calling us right from the very moment our forefathers first broke the promise that they made with God in the Garden of Eden. And you, you see it clearly in one of the, what I think is one of the most stunning and tragic moments in the scriptures. It's filled in one moment with such incredible intimacy. And there's something that resonates deep in our hearts as it taps into that yearning and that longing that we all have. And yet at the same breath, it's, there's this devastating separation. And it's from Genesis chapter 3 and it's in verse 8 and it says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool 
of the day. And when we read that, something in our hearts just leaps. And it's like, oh, yes, that's right. That's, that's what we were made for. That's what we were created for. That's how our lives are supposed to look. We're supposed to have that kind of intimacy with our creator, with our heavenly father. Walking in the garden with him in the cool of the day. We were made, we were designed, we were created to walk with God. But Genesis goes on. And it says this, and it says, but they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to the man, Adam, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Adam, where are you? Can you hear his voice? Can you hear the Lord God calling to you. He has been calling each one of us since that moment in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? And in Mark, we see Jesus doing exactly the same thing. You see, the Father has called us to come to him. Jesus is calling us to come to him. You want to know who you are? That's who you are. You have been called. You have been called by him. You've been called by the God who created and made the heavens and the earth. Now, the trouble is that most of us don't really know what it is that God thinks about us. Um, we have, we think, we have a pretty good idea of what we think about ourselves, and usually it's not great. Uh, we're pretty sure that we know what everyone else thinks about us, and uh, our, generally our interpretation of what other people think about us, that's not very good either. Um, but what does God think about us? How does he think of us? In Ephesians, it talks about how before even the creation of the world, God the Father had every single one of us in his mind. See, God didn't just create like generic human beings. He created every single one of us uniquely and individually. Ephesians chapter 4 in the message, it says, in chapter 1 in the message, it says this. It says, long before he laid down the earth's foundations. Like that's a long time ago. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Even before the world was created, you were in the mind, you were in the heart of God in some unique way. David, in Psalm 139, he, he cries out what's true for every single one of us. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. There's a whole host of passages in the scriptures that say that you have been uniquely, you have been passionately created by your loving and heavenly Father. In your mother's womb, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And each one of us has been fearfully and wonderfully made in a slightly different way to everybody else. And each one of us, we have our own gifts and our own talents and our own personality and our own skills and our own interests. And, and all these things... 
that make us who we are. And God had something in mind for each one of us when he created us. You are his. You are something very special to him. You are something unique to him. Revelation uh, chapter 2 verse 17 says this, to the one who's victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. And it goes on, it says, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And I think the name on that stone will be the name of who God has intended us to be. It will be a name, um, and it will be our name, and it will be descriptive and true, and it will capture the very essence and the very core of who you are as a person. Because God had something very specific in mind when he created you. G.K. Chesterton said this, He said, all of us suffer from the same dilemma. We have forgotten who we are. We've forgotten who we are. And the trouble for many of us um, is that what seems easy to remember, you know, what seems to be the easiest thing for us to receive, the easiest thing that dictates and governs and rules our lives are the things that we believe about ourselves that are generally not true and are generally pretty rubbish. And the things that we believe that other people have said about us that are also generally not true and are also pretty rubbish. There's something about us that tends to believe that kind of stuff so much more easily than we could believe God's truth for us. Do you know that you've been called? Have you heard the voice of the Lord God calling out to you. I would encourage you, I would encourage you most strongly to to just take time to still and quiet your heart and mind so that you can hear him calling to you. He is inviting you to come to him. We've been called by him. Here's another thing that we need to be thinking about as we work out who we really are, and that's that's what we're called to. What are, what have we been called to? Who have we been called by and what have we been called to? So that we can find out the real us, so that you can find out the real you. We we need to know what it is that we've been called to. Have a look at verses 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 3. And it says this, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. See, when we're talking about our identity, you know, who, who are we? Who are we really? We need to know who we've been called by, but we also need to know what we've been called to. And over and above everything else, over and above anything else, uh, above our, our families, above our jobs, above our ministry, or whatever it is, over and above it all, as we looked at again, a series towards the beginning of the year, um, we have been called that we might be with him. That's what we've been called to, that we might be with him. You see, the first job you know, for the disciples, it was really, really simple. All they had to do was to just be with Jesus. They, they, they just had to spend time with Jesus. They, they just were invited to walk with him, traipsing around desert places. You know, they were just invited to sit with him, eating lots and drinking lots and going to lots of parties. You know, it's like, this is like a hard, it's a hard job being a disciple. And they just had to kind of hang out and, and try and maybe learn something from him. They weren't too quick on the uptake on that one. They never really got very much of what he was saying. 
all the other wonderful, incredible things that, you know, the, the being sent out to preach, you know, the having authority to drive out demons, all of that kind of stuff that we tend to really focus on. Like, that's the bit that we get hold of. It's like, oh, it's a preacher, raise the dead and like heal the sick and cleanse those with leprosy, blah, blah, blah. Let's, let's go and do that. But you see, the thing is, is that all of that stuff, which is amazing and wonderful, and we absolutely want to be doing it, all of that stuff comes out of what? Being with him. Relationship. Spending time with Jesus, just going to his parties and drinking his wine and walking dusty roads. How are we doing at being with him this morning? The Lord um, continues you'll be glad to know, to take me to task on this one. Uh, he keeps speaking to me through things like Psalm 37, you know, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And as you know, being still and patience are, are not great virtues of mine. Um, so he'll take me to somewhere like Psalm 46, and it's like, you know, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Like, don't be anxious. However, keep reading, verse 10, be still, and know that I am God. I'm like, okay, be still. Okay, be still. I'll try, be still. I'll be still. Okay. Do I need to be doing something else? See, he's trying to get our attention. You know, it's Simon and Garfunkel time again. Slow down. You move too fast. It's May, and we still haven't quite slowed down yet. So um, be still. Wait patiently. Be, be, be quiet. Go back to the series we talked about at the beginning of the year, Rhythms of Grace. How are we doing with switching off our phones? How are we doing at shutting down our laptops? So the truth of the matter is this stuff just isn't that important. It's somebody else's urgent. It's not our, it's not our important. How about, um, how are we getting on with silence and solitude? Or have I got to teach it again? We're going to go back over it again. Um, how are we doing with that? How about silent listening? The things that don't come easily, to, certainly not to me. Because this is the place where Jesus begins. This is where Jesus starts. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Jesus went up onto the mountainside. Uh, you see it in Luke chapter 6. When it's describing the story in Luke chapter 6, it says in verse 12, one of those days Jesus went up onto a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles. See, I don't think Jesus was climbing mountains just for the sheer heck of it. I don't think he was off on some, you know, Bear Grylls, man versus wild adventure thing, which comes as a great uh, relief to some of us. I, I think he was withdrawing and retreating from his normal daily routine so that he could intentionally be with his father, away from the crowds, away from the people, away from the work, away from his iPad, away from his PlayStation, and all the distractions that Jesus was like facing on a daily basis. He was withdrawing. When you look at it, when you look at that section in Mark, he was actually withdrawing and, and choosing to withdraw and retreat for some very, some very, very good things. You know, he was healing people left, right, and center. Jesus was in the middle of setting people free, and yet even in that moment, Jesus says, do you know what? I need to take some time out from my daily routine, my day-to-day -day life. I need to uh, retreat. 
I need to withdraw from this so that I can engage with my heavenly father. I need to retreat so that I can advance. I need to be able to, I want to disconnect from this so that I can connect and be with him. That they might be with him. How are we doing with being with him this morning? How are we doing with silence and solitude and listening and waiting on him? Just enjoying his presence. Just over this next week, carve out some time just to be with him. You know, just take yourself off and go for a walk. It's so much easier now. The weather is uh, so much better. And they should go for very late night walks. I mean, like, how amazing to connect with God, just like walking through a massive thunderstorm last night. That would have been amazing. Just like 12 o'clock, just go for a stroll in the deluge. And be with him, you know, just go off and just invite, just when you go, go off wherever, just invite the spirit of God to come and, you know, you don't need to be praying. Yeah, you just do that at other times. You don't need to, like, be reading your Bible. You do need to be reading your Bible, but you can do that at other times. You're just, just taking some time to be quiet and to be still and just enjoy the presence of God. Because what happens as you give yourself to being with him, you know, not really just doing anything, but just being, you hear his voice. He speaks to us. His love and his affection, his heart for you speaks to you. You hear his love for you. You hear his heart for you. And what it does is it changes everything. It changes all sorts of things. You see, as Christians, we know so much truth we know that God has demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us you know we know that those things are true we've read about them we read it but what a phenomenal difference it makes when that passage that we read in the scriptures leaps off the page and it goes kind of from from head knowledge to just some kind of heart experience and encounter with the living word and we actually catch it in our hearts and it's like we know that we know that we know about the father's love for us we know that he sent his son for us we know that he came to die so that he could restore and rescue when we really get that sense of the passion of the father for the prodigal the the prodigal god rushing out while his son was still a long way off he saw him he rushes out to meet him he gives him his robe of authority. He gives him, he gives him his ring. He gives him his robe. He gives him his, his sandals. He celebrates with this great big feast. When we read about that and we have it in our heads, that's fantastic. But when that starts to penetrate the core of our being and we go, yeah, yeah, I get that. That's when things start to shift. It's not just knowledge or doctrine. It, it captures our hearts and the scriptures leap off the page and become living and active in our lives. So we know that we're a new creation in Christ, but I feel like I'm a new creation in Christ. I, I know that I'm no longer a slave to sin because I've died to sin, and now I actually live like I'm no longer a slave to sin, that I've died to sin. I, I, I know that it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me, but now I actually live in such a way that by the way that I do my life, it's clear that I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. Because... The stuff that we're reading in the scriptures, living and active, it has become real. And it's embedded in our hearts. 
we uh, experience what it feels like, what it's like to be a son and a daughter and adopted into God's family. So we know all these things are true, but are we experiencing them? Do we know uh, who we are? Do we know that we are beloved of God? You know, has that captured us? Because um, my prayer is, our prayer is that, that it would for all of us. Let, let me encourage you to give this a go. Just take some time to be with him. If as a church we are committed to just being with him, spending time with him, all these other amazing things, the, the sending and the preaching and the casting out demons, all of that will, that will all come in good time. To find the real you, we need to know um, who has called us. We need to know who, uh, to know what uh, we've been called to. And then lastly, we need to know what he's called us, what he is calling us. Um, have a look at verse 16, chapter 3. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the awesome name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas. They just were ordinary people, so they didn't get like extra supercharged names um james son of alphaeus thaddeus simon the zealot and judas iscariot who betrayed him Uh, charles spurgeon said this i will never have it that god created any person especially any christian to be a blank and to be a nothing he made you for an end find out what that end is find out your niche and fill it If it be ever so little, if it's only to be a hewer of wood, or a drawer of water, do something in this great battle for God and for truth. You see, we all have a place in this world that cannot be filled by another. We have everything in us, all the raw ingredients. It's all being deposited in us to to fulfill and to fill the unique spot that God has for us to fill. You have what it takes to live and to live out and to be who it is that God has designed you to be. You'll often hear it said that there's something in a name. Names in the Bible are really important. And right throughout Scripture, um, you see that names are used... Uh, to express often someone's nature. Um, Sometimes they're used to describe God's purposes and God's plans for them in the world. You see, ultimately, in the naming of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. It means God saves. One of the things you see again and again throughout Scripture is, um, is God changing people's names. He calls them uh, into something new. Maybe he calls them to some new purpose, some new mission. He would often change their name. And so um, you look through the Old Testament, God changes Abraham, which means like high father. He changes that to Abraham, which means father of many nations. His wife, uh, her name is uh, Sarai, and that means my princess. She gets her name changed to Sarah, which means mother of nations. Uh, God changes Jacob, his name, which means supplanter. And he changes it to Israel, which is, is about having power with God. He changes Simon. We see it um, here. We see, he changes Simon's name, which means you know, God has heard. He changes it to Peter, which means rock. 
You know, uh, and when God is, is changing someone's name, as I said, it usually has a lot to do with what he's calling them into. It's like uh, God sees something of his purposes and his plans in them. You know, what it is that he's trying to draw out, what it is that he's calling them into, who it is that he's calling them to be. You know, think about Simon. I mean, you look at Simon, you, you're looking at his outward appearance, and it's just like he's just not getting it. God bless him. And he, he fantastically gets it, like, wrong. Sometimes he gets it, like, amazingly right. Mostly he gets it amazingly wrong. Um, but he gets it sort of wrong, stuffs up so many times, God bless him. And Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. See, Jesus looks at this blithering, blundering sort of idiot, Peter, and says, do you know what, actually, Simon, are you going to change your name? Because that's not who you really are. You are Peter. You are the rock, right? And then he goes on to say, and on this rock I will build my church. You're kind of looking at Peter and say, what is he seeing in this guy? Like, does he, does he really know who he is? Like, has he been reading along? Has he been paying attention? It's like incredible. See, the Lord looks on us and he sees us so incredibly differently to the way that we see ourselves. He sees us so incredibly differently to the way that all the other people around us even see us. And he sees us so incredibly differently and says, do you know what, I'm going to change your name. I don't think your name fits. That's not who you are. This is who you are. I'm going to call you something different. See it in Isaiah 62, it says this, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you. Some of you here this morning, you just need to hear the Lord's name for you. Some of you, you have been called deserted and desolate for too long. And that's not the name the Father has given you. When we're talking about who we are, we need to know what we've been called. And we need to hear that name from the Lord. We need to hear our Heavenly Father tell us what he thinks of us. And... I think he gives us hints throughout our lives of, of, of what that is and, and, of, and of who we really are. And I think he wants us to know who we truly are. Um, I, I love to know. Like, I love to hear glimpses of what my heavenly father thinks of me. I love to hear the names that he sings and speaks over me. And um, how do you find out what it is that God is saying about who you are? Uh, you, ask, you ask him. 
You, you, you ask him, well, you, you take all that you read about your identity in Christ, you take all the truths that you read in the scriptures and uh, you, all of that truth of everything that God has done and you capture it all and then you pound on the door of heaven and you say, Lord, embed this stuff into my being. I am not letting go of the truths of the scriptures until this is embedded and buried and hidden in my heart. And I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would remove everything that is contrary and everything that is counter that just shouts down the truth and assaults me and assails me. What would it be like if, if every single one of us truly knew who it was that God had called us to be? You know, uh, I think that if we heard what God has called us to, um, I think we would be too embarrassed uh, to tell anyone because, because of who we are and the way that our brains work. We would, we would assume that we're just making it up. And it would be like, I can't say it's so arrogant. It's so conceited. Like God's told me this stuff, but it's like I, I couldn't possibly tell anyone because they just think, what an arrogant person. The truth is, who God has called you to be is so much greater than you could ever even imagine. It's like incredible. It's like awesome. Do you know what's really awesome about it? Is that it's also the thing that you most deeply long to be true about yourself. The thing that God desires for you actually connects with the desires that are in our hearts because he put those desires in our hearts. And so somewhere in us, we long for something, we yearn for something, we yearn to be something, to be someone who does this, that, and the other, who is like this, that, and the other. And the chances are that's exactly who God is calling and wanting you to be too. It's that something that you at the one hand can't ever imagine yourself being because it's just like it's so far away from who you are right now um, but it's the, at the same time it's that one thing that you hope for and long for and yearn for and dream for over and above everything else and it's who he's designed you to be uh, I don't know maybe God's calling some of you to just set people free um, some of you, God, is calling to, to a level of wisdom and understanding that um, just impacts and transforms the lives of people. And maybe God is wanting some of you to just minister and serve children and young people or uh, work with numbers or be an artist or create art, whatever it is. You know, do we allow ourselves enough time and space and relationship with our Father to hear it and to believe it and follow it through? You know, think about Abraham. It's like Abraham, he's like 99 or something. And God calls him and says, oh, I want you to leave, you know, leave where you're going, leave where you are, leave everything that's familiar with you, leave your friends and your family and all this kind of, and go to a place I will show you along the way maybe. It's like, what does it take for him? You know, we go, oh, of course, Abraham. Abraham left, you know. What? How many of us at 99 would like up, you know, stump and just like move somewhere? Completely, we don't know where we're going. Just because God's 
telling him to. And then God says, I'm, from now on, I'm going to change your name, and, and I'm going to call you Abraham, and you're going to be the father of many nations, and I'm going to bless you through all nations. And Abraham's like, yeah, great. Uh, do you know how old I am? And like, actually, God, sorry, I don't think you're paying attention. Children are pretty off the radar. My wife, God bless her, she's barren, right? So um, that's not going to happen. And, and God says, no, 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 you are. You're going, to be a, you're going to be the father of a multitude of nations, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. What does it take? How, how arrogant is Abraham to think that that could possibly be true? What does it take for him to actually believe that that is who God has called him to be? That, 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 that this is who I have called you to be. It had to be through more than just words. God had to move in some way. God had to do something in his heart for him to believe that, for him to be able to get up and leave and to go and to press into the promises of God. Think about Moses. You know, Moses, he's this guy, he's like, he's, like, he's, a, he's a wanted criminal. He's gone off and he's in Midian and he's looking after sheep and God appears to him in the burning bush and says, actually, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, go back to the superpower of the day, and I want you to set my people free. And Moses is like, uh, actually, there are wanted posters of Moses all over Egypt, wanted murder, uh, bad man, Moses. And you want me to go, like, I really like these sheep here in Midian. Can we just stay here? It's fine. Uh, my father-in-law is pretty cool, so I don't mind staying here you know and, and Moses reaction is just like the wrong guy you know how's Moses self-image him he's not right up there is he um, and yet he goes what's happened to him how does that come about how what what happened in Moses life so the spirit of God must have come on him in some way so that he was able to step in and press into what God was calling him to be I think about Saul Saul in the New Testament you know this is a guy who's ravaged the church he's dragged men women and children out um, and he's persecuted the church is is this super self-righteous Pharisee and uh, he's got this holier than thou kind of heart and attitude and uh, suddenly he's no longer that guy he's now longer he's no longer Saul he's now Paul and rather than kind of beating up on the church he's actually he, he, he's become a, not only a member of the church but he, he he's, he's like going around starting new churches all over the place how does that happen well how does that happen well for, for Saul he gets knocked off his donkey and he goes blind for a few days um so maybe that's something you should be looking out for. Um, but it comes, I think, about this deeply, through this deeply personal relationship between our Heavenly Father and each one of us. Kate's been talking about this over the last few weeks. Um, Exodus 33, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. That's the kind of relationship that we're being invited into with our Heavenly Father. Face to face with our Heavenly Father as one would speak to his friend. We're being invited back into the walking with the Lord in the garden in the cool of the day. We've been invited into a relationship where God, his Heavenly Father, the Heavenly Father speaks to us as friends and as God walks with us he stirs us and he makes us alive and he breathes into our being and he does stuff to us just by hanging out with him and walking along the high street and 
being on the tube and on the train and wherever it is that we find ourselves every single day. And God does something to us in that walking and that face-to-face conversation that is radically transformative. He even breathes you know, life into those of us who are dead, just living under the weight of, of just feeling like I've got nothing to offer, I've got nothing to say, I've got nothing to give. Jesus names those he's appointed. And I, again, I would encourage you just to make time to hear from him, to hear from the Father, to take time to be still before him and to ask him, what does he think of you? Because as we connect with him, we will hear him calling. We will hear his calling on our lives. We will hear the name that he is singing over us. And then, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, poured out on the church at Pentecost, which we celebrated last week, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called and we are equipped and we are empowered. We are enabled to live all of this out. We we are able to uh, imitate him. We are able to mimic him. We are able to become like him because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If we want to know who we really are, we need to take time to contemplate the Lord's glory. We just need time to be quiet and just be in his presence. Because it's when we're in his presence, we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, we're being transformed with ever-increasing glory into his image. Just as we gaze upon the beauty of his majesty and his splendor, we are being transformed and changed into his image just by being with him. That's life-changing. And that's so life-changing that gets right to the very heart of the matter and gets to the point whereby we'll never again not know the answer to the question, who are you really? Okay? Amen. Why don't you stand?